Thank you so much. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> Man, awesome. Let's open God's word, I invite you to do that on this Easter morning, the Gospel of John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20, if you'd like to use the Bible that's provided for you there in the seat, you'll find this text on page 906 of that Bible, 906. John 20, John 20. All of the Gospels tell us that the events on that Easter Sunday morning took place in the dark. The Bible says that before dawn, while it was yet dark, some of the followers of Jesus, a small group of women, came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Daybreak had not yet arrived. But I think we could all agree that in the truest and fullest sense, the dawn had already happened, right? Not the sun rising in the east, but the light of the sun rising in the tomb. The sun of God and his light radiated in that tomb. And that light is shining, never ceases, never has ceased, never will cease to shine. The light of the risen Son of God. And that's the reason we're gathered here this morning, the reason we can worship the one who looked beyond our faults and saw our needs. Now who, who was it that needed the light of the sun more than anyone else that day. Who was it that needed more than anyone the light of the risen Christ? The one who needed it most, the ones who needed that light most, they were the struggling disciples. Struggling disciples needed the light of the risen Christ to shine on them. Who is it that needs Christ today? Who in this room needs Christ today? Disciples who are struggling. We need still, don't we, the light of the risen Christ. And I'm praying as I have prayed this week and prayed this weekend that the risen Christ will visit us this morning. And as I've prayed this weekend, walking around this room, that up and down these rows, the risen Christ will walk among us. And people sitting in the dark will see the great light. Now, one of Christ's closest disciples came early that morning, but it was midnight in her heart. She was in 
such suffering and sorrow and what she needed was light. She needed for herself the light of consolation. Her name is Mary. We call her Mary Magdalene because she was from the town of Magdala, a town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, not far from the hometown of Jesus. This Mary, Mary Magdalene, was a woman who was used, abused, and oppressed by men. For years, she had to eke out her living, satisfying the lusts of men. She was an oppressed prostitute. Not only was she oppressed, but the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene was possessed. The Bible says that Jesus cast seven demons out of this woman, Mary Magdalene. And so you can imagine why she became one of the most devoted of Jesus' followers because she had been delivered from a life of oppression and she had been delivered from a life of possession by the enemy. And no wonder why she was the one one evening while Jesus was reclining at a meal in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader, that she came behind him while he was reclining. She anointed his feet with precious oil. She let down her hair. She began to wipe his feet with her hair and the tears dropped down her face and mingled with the oil with which she was anointing the feet of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. She was overcome with grief. She's in the dark. She's the first to come. She's the first to come and to see that the tomb is empty. But rather than bringing her joy, it even deepens her despair. Even the presence of the angels who meet her there does not brighten her despair. And she turns away from the tomb and John tells us in John 20 verses 11 through 13 that she sees a man that she thinks is the gardener and he asks, why are you weeping? She says, sir, if you've, if you've taken away the body of my Lord, please tell me where you've put him and I will come and, and get him. And in that moment, the man calls her name. He says, Mary. And when she hears that voice calling her name, she knows who it is. And she replies, Rabboni, which means teacher, master. In a moment, the darkness is dispelled when he calls her name. She's flooded with light when he says to her, Mary. She goes from desperate darkness to the light of pure joy. 
Friend, I want you to know something this morning. No matter how deep the darkness of your life may be right now, Jesus knows your name. And some, you're sitting in the darkness. You're here on Easter morning. You hear the beautiful music. But right now, Jesus is calling your name because he wants to bring consolation to you. He wants light to shine into your darkness. Jesus knows your name. Jesus calls your name. Listen. There was another disciple so close to Jesus and if possible, his darkness was even deeper. As a matter of fact, his darkness and his soul did not begin on Friday afternoon, but shortly after midnight, the whole saga started darker and darker until just at the sunrise on Friday morning. This is Simon Peter. The Bible tells us an amazing thing about Simon Peter in Mark chapter 16. We'll look there in a few minutes, but let me remind you what Peter had sworn to a few hours earlier. What did he swear to after he took communion with the other disciples and Jesus said that one would betray him? What was it that Peter said? He said, even though all people should deny you, I swear I will never deny you. And Jesus told him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And one of the most poignant statements in the Bible, touching, heart-rending statements in the Bible is this, we're told that when Peter was accused of being a disciple for the third time as he stood by that charcoal fire, it says he swore and he cursed, he swore before God that he did not know the man. And just at that moment, Jesus, who was inside the court of the high priest, turned and looked at Peter and Peter saw Jesus looking at him. Imagine that moment. Just as Peter swears, I don't know him, he looks and sees the Christ, his master, gazing at him. Peter was plunged into darkness. He ran out into the dark, sobbing. He sobbed all night long crying in remorse and repentance for what he had done. We don't know a lot of what happened the rest of that day. We are told by Peter in his writings later in the New Testament that somehow he made himself go up to Calvary and he saw Jesus nailed to the cross. Of all the hopeless disciples, of all the grieving disciples, 
None was in darker despair than Peter. But this is what is so wonderful. Before Peter was even told that Jesus had risen, the Lord had already sent out the light to him. He'd sent out to Peter before he even recognized the miracle, the resurrection. He had sent out to Peter through his angel the light of restoration. The light of restoration. It's such a touching statement. It's found in Mark chapter 16. In Mark 16, in verses 5 through 7, we're told how those women came to the tomb and they were greeted there by the angels and said, who said, he's not here, he's risen. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Is that amazing? Go tell his disciples he is risen. Go tell them and Peter. Don't forget Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. You see, Peter did not even think he still was a disciple. He, he had so failed, he didn't even think he was a disciple, but the reality was he still belonged to Jesus. And Jesus had not changed in his love. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter couldn't quite even bring himself to forgive what he had done. Matter of fact, a few weeks later, he tells the disciples, I'm going fishing, which means I'm not just going on a fishing trip. I'm going back to the life I used to know. I, I can't do this. I'm not worthy of this. I have failed. I'll go back to what I did before. And he tried to go back to fishing but Jesus had a different plan. Jesus met him and the other disciples there as he stood by the bank. And he asked those disciples out in the boat, including Peter, what no fishermen want to be asked when they haven't caught anything. Hey, have you caught anything? <laughs> no. Well, cast down on the other side and you will. So not knowing who he was, but just, we'll do it. They couldn't even pull in the catch. It was so great. And John, who was in the boat, recognizes who that, that is. He says, it's the Lord. And Peter, he strips his coat off. He dives into the water. He sets a record for the 100-meter freestyle. That, that's in the Greek. You got to dig that out a little bit. <laughs> And when he gets there, what does he find? Jesus, breakfast being served on a charcoal fire. Jesus meets Peter across a charcoal fire. And he asks him a question. Peter? Do you love me? Lord, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And 
The Bible says that Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Why was he grieved? Because he knew why he was asking him the third time. Because he had denied the Lord Jesus at a charcoal fire three times. And now here he is with Jesus and Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And he cries out, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Peter Feed my sheep. How did Jesus restore Peter? He didn't say, Peter, do you promise? Do you promise, promise? Do you promise, promise, promise? Peter, are you sorry? Are you really sorry? Are you really, really, really sorry? He knows what's happened. He wants to know, Peter, do you love me? Because that's what I really am after, your heart. Do I have your heart? There are some people here. Jesus is walking up to you this morning. He's not going over all the details of what's happened. He's not dragging it all up again. He's not asking you for penance. What he wants to know is this. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Because there's nothing that we can give to Jesus. There's nothing we can do for Jesus that he wants other than this. Our love. Do you love me? And maybe there's someone here this morning with a breaking heart and maybe tears in your eyes. You need to say, Jesus, you know me. You know how I failed you. But you know I love you. The light of the Lord will shine on you. The light of restoration. There were two other disciples that day who were walking in the dark. They were walking in the daytime, but they were walking in the dark and what they needed was light. What they needed was the light of illumination. They're walking, but they're walking in the dark. The Bible says, tells us that there were two disciples that day who were walking to a town of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they are disillusioned, and they're depressed, and they're talking back and forth to each other about what's happened, and they, they don't even see the stranger that walks up next to them. Do you ever ask yourself what Jesus did after the resurrection? I mean, after he rose from the dead, not a spirit, not a ghost, but when that man, Jesus, got up and walked out of that tomb, what did he do? The Bible tells us what he did. That afternoon, he took a walk. And he joined these men going to Emmaus and he started walking beside them and they are going back and forth in conversation. Jesus says, what are you discussing? And one of them, so to speak, says, what planet are you from? 
What, what, what things? What things? Have you not heard all the things that have happened in Jerusalem this weekend? What things? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. We had hoped that he was the Christ, the Messiah, that he had come to restore the kingdom. That's what, and they have crucified him. It's been three days now. And as they kept going, they just strolled. But what they didn't know is in that moment as they strolled, they had been enrolled. <laughs> They'd been enrolled in seminary. And the greatest teacher of all is going to teach them a thing or two. And he starts holding class while they're walking. Verse 25, we get to listen in. Here's what the teacher said. When you look at Luke chapter 24, the teacher in that strolling Bible class said in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a class. What a class. And listen, class isn't out because now they got to take an evening class. Oh, they got another class to take. It's an evening class. Evening class starts in verse 28. Verse 28 says this. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the night, the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures and they arose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven. And those who were there with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Some seated here this morning and the reality is you're walking in shadows. I don't know what the shadows are, but you're walking right now in your life in the shadow lands. Maybe it's a shadow of emotional stress. Maybe it's a shadow having to do with your family. Maybe it's a shadow about your business, your job. Maybe it's a shadow about fears concerning some situation, but it, it's like you're walking in the shadows. And I want to tell you something this morning. 
you are not walking alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. He is with you. How can you know him? How can you know where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do? Well, what did he do with those two disciples? He began at Moses and the prophets and he showed them the things in the Bible about himself. Jesus walked with the disciples and he taught them the scriptures. And friends, he does that to this very day. In the shadows that you're walking and you don't know what's going on, I, I plead with you, open the word of God. Ask the author to walk with you, to show you the things concerning himself. Ask him to be a light for your path. Ask him to be a lamp for your feet. And I tell you, as you ask him and you open your heart to him, even in the shadows, your heart will burn within you. The spirit of God will reveal Jesus to you. This is a shadow land. But the king of glory is alive. And he's walking with us while we're journeying to the land where there is no night. There was light that morning, light that day for disciples. And you know what? There was light seven days later. The light of Jesus was still shining. Because there was a disciple, one disciple, a disciple who couldn't believe, or maybe we should say there was a disciple who wouldn't believe, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there on that Sunday when the disciples were gathered. And when Jesus showed up, he wasn't there that Sunday. Let that be a reminder to you, Christian. While you need to go to church on Sunday, you never know when Jesus will show up. <laughs> Just saying. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? But you know what? I don't think of him as doubting Thomas. When I read about him, I think of him as downer Thomas. Downer. I mean, do you remember this is a Thomas when Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. You remember what Thomas said? He turned to them and said, well, let's go with him so we can die with him there. Great. This is a Thomas when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. Thomas is the Eeyore of the disciples. <laughs> I mean, Thomas can brighten a room by just walking out of it, all right? That, that, that's Thomas. He's determined to doubt. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, verse 24, he says, listen, unless I can put my finger into the nail prints, unless I can take my hand and put it into his side where he was pierced with that spear, I will not believe. 
What did he get the next Sunday? Well, he got what he needed, the light of confirmation. Because the Bible tells him, tells us that when they were gathered again on a Sunday, Jesus entered and he went straight to Thomas. And what did he say? Thomas, stop disbelieving. That's the literal translation. Stop disbelieving. Start believing. Reach here your finger. Put it in the nail prints. Reach here your hand. Put it in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. And the greatest doubter, Thomas, fell at Jesus' feet and he made the greatest confession of faith. What did he say? He said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Some of you here, you have doubts. There's there's things you don't understand what's going on. You doubt whether Jesus loves you. You doubt if Jesus is really with you. You you doubt whether he can help you. He helps others, but maybe not you. you. You doubt maybe whether Jesus really can meet you where you are. What should you do? Can I give you a very humble recommendation? Talk to him. He's not dead. He's alive. Jesus is not hindered by doubts. Jesus is alive. Don't tell your doubts to Facebook. Go to the face of Jesus and tell him. He is able to make your heart know that he is alive and he's with you. You may be here this morning and you say, you know, I, think, I just don't know if I believe at all. You may be here and you say, I, do, I know other people believe this, but I'm just not sure. I, I'm just, a, I'm, I'm an agnostic, I guess you'd say, Sam. I'm just an agnostic. And I, and I would just lovingly ask you this question. Are you an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? Or what's the difference? Well, an honest agnostic would say, I don't know, but I'm willing to investigate. A dishonest agnostic says, I don't know, and I'm not interested in finding out. Friends, listen, some people can't find Jesus for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. He's not looking for him. (laughs) If you are a doubter, if you seriously have doubts about whether Christianity is true, I want to challenge you. Don't first study the religion. Talk to the author, Jesus. Ask him. Because if Jesus cannot reveal himself to you, he's not worth serving anyway. But he's not dead. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. I dare you. As When I was growing up, I would say, I double dog dare you. Ask Jesus. Take your doubts to Jesus. And I'm telling you, the living Jesus, if you are sincere, will reveal himself to you. He will. Because you know what? He's alive. He's not dead. Call him up. 
Talk to him. And then give him some time to answer in his way. He will. Well, there was one other disciple, the closest of all. Who was the closest of all? John. It was John who met Jesus right after Jesus' baptism. It was John. It was John who left the boat with James's brother and Andrew and Simon and followed Jesus when he called. It was John who along with his brother James and with Peter went up to the top of the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them in all of his glory. It was John who was so close to Jesus that at the last supper, John put his head on Jesus' chest. It was John who was so devoted to Jesus that when Jesus was dying on the cross, John stood right there. And he put his arm around Jesus' mother and helped her through the ordeal. And Jesus looked down from the cross and he said to John, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And from that day forward, John took care of Jesus' mother for him. John the apostle, John the missionary, John the great pastor, John who wrote the gospel of John, John who wrote the three epistles, who lived on after the resurrection for over 60 years. And when he was an old man in his 80s, way up in his 80s, the Roman emperor banished him to a rock in the Mediterranean Sea called Patmos and put him to work in the mines. And that old man, that faithful follower of Jesus, the closest of all to Jesus, was down in the depths of the mine, chipping away at rock. And in that darkness, the light of the world, Jesus came to him. And he saw Jesus like he had never seen him before. We're told that he saw Jesus in Revelation 1 with the light of glorification. He saw Jesus and this is what he saw. He saw Jesus with hair white as snow as the ancient of days. He saw him with his eyes like fire with the omniscience of God. He saw him with a brass like body the judge of the universe. He saw him and heard his voice like the sound of many waters. And when John, the closest to Jesus, saw Jesus in his glory, he fell down at his feet like a dead man. But then something happened. John felt it. He felt it. He hadn't felt it in 60 plus years, but he knew it. It was the hand of Jesus. The glorified hand of the Son of God, but the same tender hand in his memory. He knew it was the hand of Jesus, and then he heard the voice. 
the voice of the Lord God Almighty, Jesus. And what did he say? Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus was risen and he was glorified, but he had the same heart. Had not changed. The same loving and kind Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Fear not. Let me tell you why you don't have to be afraid. Even down here in this mine, even down here in this darkness, with the emperor of Rome, the most powerful man in the world is your enemy. You don't have to be afraid. Let me tell you why. Because I am the first and the last. I am he who was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. And I have in my hands the keys of death and Hades I have overcome, do not be afraid. And my friend, you're a follower of Jesus. It matters not who your enemy is. If the one who holds the keys of death and Hades puts his hand on your head, you don't have to be afraid. And he does that to all who believe. Jesus' arms are still open. Come to me. Come to me, he says. And I will give you rest. Come to me. Friends, this church can't offer you rest. We love you, but we can't offer you rest for your souls. No church can. No person can. No relationship can fill your heart. No amount of money can bring you peace. No career path accomplished and you stand at the pinnacle and look back at all you've done will not bring you peace. What will bring you peace is kneeling at the feet of the Prince of Peace holding him and feeling his hand on your head saying, I am the first and the last. I am he who died for you and now I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of your death and I have the keys of Hades. Don't be afraid. Let's bow our heads. As our heads are bowed, dear friend, What light is it that you need this morning? Are you like Mary Magdalene? Do you need the light of consolation? Have you denied the Lord and you're like Peter? You need the light of restoration? Are you walking in darkness like the two disciples? You need the light of illumination? Are you plagued with doubts? And like Thomas, you need the light of confirmation? Or are you in such darkness, maybe after years of toil, that you just need to see Jesus in all of his glory? You need that light of glorification. Here's what I want you to do. Just tell him right now, tell him. Tell Jesus what you need. He's here. He's walking. He's present. Tell him what you need. 